Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. This is John Spear, founder and resident guru at Greenlight.Guru. Hey, I'm glad you tuned in today. We have a real exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, you're you're going to hear from from Ronnie Bracken. Ronnie is he's one of those guys that's that's seen a lot of things and he's been through uh, both sides of the equation in the medical device industry as a startup. But before that, he worked for for a large company that was involved in a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, had a chance to talk with him a while back, and one of the interesting things that, that Ronnie said, and I quote, $20 million might not seem like a lot of money to you, but if you get a $20 million haircut on your valuation because your design controls and quality system aren't up to speed, I guarantee you that's going to hurt. Yeah, Ronnie said that. And you're going to hear a lot more about his points of view on things like design control, risk management, and regulations in this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, it's John Spear with Greenlight.Guru, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have with us Ronnie Bracken. Ronnie is a superstar these days in the medical device startup world, and, and I'll let uh, introduce Ronnie and let him speak. Tell a little bit about what he's up to and, and all the exciting opportunities. So, Ronnie, welcome to our program. And um, if you would, just give us a little bit about who you are and what you've done and some of the exciting things that you're working on. Sure. Thanks, John. Good morning. You know, my background, I have, you know, 26 years in medical device product development. I spent 18 years at BARD, uh, eight years of those in executive capacity, head of R&D, as well as the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the last few years that I was there. So nowadays what I'm doing is is actually, you know, running startups. I'm working uh, with a tissue engineering startup, uh, Nanofiber Solutions, as well as, you know, running uh, as the President and Chief Operating Officer of a company called N8 Medical, which is an antimicrobial technology, a novel new compound that we're going to use to coat medical devices. So that's a little bit about my background and what I'm doing nowadays. Very cool. I uh, had a chance to meet with you and, and the team, actually both teams at N8 Medical and at Nanofiber Solutions, and, and you've uh, found some, some really interesting technology and, and as well as pretty exciting group of people to, to help bring those products to market. So congratulations, at least, on, on the beginnings of those two companies. Thank you. All right. So, Ronnie, we, you and I have spoke a few times, and, and I, I'll have to confess, every time that you, you and I speak, it's, um, it makes my day. I, I, you and I were speaking a few minutes ago, and I was telling you about, about all the red lights I hit this morning. But you're going you're gonna to help uh, clear up all those red lights, and uh, we're going to find some green lights today, if that's all right with you. Sounds good. All right. Well, one of the things that, that uh, you've got good stories, uh, and that's one of the things I've picked up every time that we've talked. And, and I want you to think a little bit. This one may be super easy for you or it may take a moment, but what is the single biggest mistake that you have seen uh, a medical device startup make? I mean, of course, protect the innocent, but <laughs> share the story. Sure. I think, well, I think there's really two. And okay. the first one is that um, a lot of the startups – fall in love with their technology and have a tendency to be clouded as to what they really need to do to develop a real product. They still become 
so technology focused that you're not really thinking about the end product itself. And the end product is more than just, you know, can I make a scaffold or can, can I make any device for that matter? It's, you know, that, a delivery mechanism, packaging, et cetera, it, labeling the whole nine yards. So, you know, small companies have a tendency to fall in love with the technology and want to hold on to the technology versus transitioning to new products or product development. And with that being said, I think the second biggest mistake is that uh, small companies uh, don't really have the, the discipline. They, uh, you know, you know, complain about the regulations. They complain about, you know, uh, the, the, the paperwork. And what I try to tell people is that it's a way of life, and if you embrace it as you know, not becoming a slave to uh, the system and actually embracing it and trying to figure out the most efficient way to satisfy regulations, but at the same time do good product development, it will make all the difference in the world. And what I mean by that is that, you know, small companies really, you know, they don't, they haven't yet, grasped or really said that, oh, you know, all of this documentation is necessary, and if done right, it helps them in the long run. It doesn't hurt them. Right. And I think those are one of the, you know, a couple of the big things that I see is right. trying to make the transition from their technology to a product, but at the same time, how do I do that and use, you know, all of these tools that are out there to their advantage, not to their disadvantage. Right, right. So let let me uh, uh, play or uh, go a little deeper on a couple of these things. I mean, because I've seen where a startup uh, has fallen in love with their technology, and that seems to happen a lot when when you've got the inventor who is still pretty involved with the the day to day activity and, and maybe even uh, taking on a, an executive role with the company. It's really hard for an inventor to kind of let go of their their baby, so to speak, or realize that it might need some improvements. I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen that challenge a few times uh, at, at the many stops in your career. Absolutely. And I think that the key is that, you know, whether it's a startup, whether it's a large company, I think, you know, the, the word the team matters. And, you know, if you're partnering with the company and you're going to go in and help build a startup, and the inventor is there, well, making sure that the team works is still important. And, right. you know, if you ignore that fact and try to go in and, in essence, look to rebuild a team or, you know, not help teach, uh, you know, it's going to fail from the beginning. So yeah. um, my philosophy is, you know, not to tell people what they're doing wrong, but to tell people how we can get better. Sure, good advice. And then the other the other story you shared is the mistakes that, that medical device stars make uh, the re- regulations. I mean, let's face it, as, as you stated, they're here. They're not they're not going anywhere. In fact, um, many signs point to the the regulations are pro- probably going to increase rather than decrease. And, and I think one of those areas that that I've seen, at least in my practice over the the past several years is is this uh, emerging interest in risk management, not only from from a regulatory perspective, but some of the standards that are that are out there. So, do you, do you have any um, thoughts or perspectives on 
on risk management, how it can help a company or how it can hurt a company. Absolutely. You know, I can remember, I've been in this business so long, I can remember when risk management, everyone just thought it was a check-the-box activity. Yeah. Let's just do it and move on. However, you know, as you really begin to embrace risk management and think about the intent of risk management, it can really change a, uh, the way a company operates. So, for example, you know, risk management was intended to help you identify potential hazards, potential failures, you know, risk with those failures, and ultimately have a company work to design those out. In other words, find a way to mitigate that potential failure, uh, whether it be design, whether it be labeling, whatever, and then that does nothing but improve your device. Right. And what I've seen is a lot of people still want to do, treat it as a check-the-box. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that is not going to really benefit a company in the long run. It is a very good tool when used correctly to help a company um, have a better product. Right. Yeah, I... I, I can remember very early in my career uh, as a young kid, just just starting out in the med device industry as a as a product development engineer. I, that checkbox activity, I remember that very well. I got to a certain point in a project, and I was like, "Oh crap! I got to do my FMEA or my risk management or, or whatever." And and I would still spend an afternoon uh, documenting that, and I would be able to check the little box on my form and say, "Yep, I've got it." But it really didn't add any value at that point. I didn't really understand that, and uh, I think today, it's, it's as, as you stated, it's very important that, that companies realize that risk management is something that's here to stay, and it's something that can be a, a huge benefit if the, the company would actually embrace the methodology behind uh, some of the, the risk management standards and, and the, the criteria that's expected. Um, so, t- you know, I know uh, in a prior life, you used to be involved in a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions, and you would come in and uh, evaluate companies and and determine whether or not they should be part of of the, the an acquisition target for your your uh, your employer at that time. Uh, I'm sure you've got some some stories, uh, good or bad, that you can share. Maybe some cases where people actually embraced the concept of risk management, and probably a few others where they didn't embrace. The, the concept of risk management. Uh, anything that you can share on that on that topic? Well, well, what I'd say is is that you know I've seen companies that have really uh, embraced you know the regulations in their entirety, not just risk management, but regulations in their entirety, and have mm-hmm. tried to do a good job of building uh, solid design history files um, with you know risk management included, etc. And I've seen some that haven't done so well at that. And typically what happens is, you know, small companies tend to forget that if you're going to be acquired by a large company, um, whether it be a Bard, whether it be a Medtronic, whether it be a J&J, it really doesn't matter. Larger companies get more FDA scrutiny. So the minute they take on a smaller company through an acquisition, they've now taken on all the regulatory risk associated with that from a compliance perspective. And small companies, you know, their systems may be viewed as okay because they're a small company, and they will be given some leniency during, you know, FDA, QCIT inspections, um, or, you know, in some cases even, you know, you know ISO certification inspections. Right. So um, I would say that, 
small companies need to realize that, you know, this process, this process of designing products, using design controls, using the design realization standards through ISO, risk management, et cetera, are ultra-important because they can ultimately affect the value of the company. Right. Because if a small, if a large company has to go in and mitigate risk, i.e. put additional quality professionals in place, additional R&D professionals in place to rebuild a robust design history file, I don't think they're not going to, you know, reduce their valuation in the company because it's money they're having to spend to mitigate those risks. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, it's funny, as, as uh, over the past several months, we've been talking to a lot of, um, of startups, and it's it's a common thing that we hear from time to time that, the, the you know, the, the point you raised earlier about the startup falling in love with their technology, yeah, that, that happens quite a bit. And then and then the other thing that we hear uh, from time to time is the startup says, oh, I don't have to worry about that, that risk management or that design control or that quality system stuff because... I'm going to develop my technology and focus on that, and I'm going to be acquired by uh, by one of the big boys in the industry. And, and I'm just like, man, you need to talk to Ronnie because Ronnie Ronnie was on that side of the the table where he was he was putting offers to to startups like yours, and and uh, when you didn't have the design controls and the risk management that were necessary. Uh, he, he would basically say, "All right, you want this? Um, we're going to reduce that offer significantly because you've just increased uh, our risk profile for for uh, your technology." Absolutely. Yeah, I think it, you you can look around and you you can look at large companies and you can look at things that they've acquired, and you even look at recalls. You look at a host of different things, and a lot of times you will find that they were, you know, from a product line or technology that they acquired. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you, you can find it every day. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that, that uh, back maybe 10 years ago that there was a lot more M&A activity in our space. And it seems like that slowed down quite a bit. Is, is that something that you've observed as well? Oh, I think it has. And uh, I think what you're seeing now is the larger's consolidating amongst themselves. I mean, because economics have changed totally within the hospitals and, yeah. you know, as economics have changed, companies have had to, you know, modify their business plans as well. Right. So, so where do you think this is all going? I mean, we've we've talked a little bit today about the the increase in regulation. We've talked about the importance of of design controls and risk management, and then your your last point of of some of the big boys are starting to to join forces, so to speak. I mean, where where do you think this is all going to go? Do you think it's going to eventually uh, return back to the age of the startup, or do you think we're in the age of the startup now? Can, give me some sense from from Ronnie's point of view. I think startups will always have a place. Uh, I think what you're going to find, though, is as you see these consolidations, you know, amongst the larger companies, uh, you're going to find that, in essence, they have more purchasing power or they have more negotiating power, um, which is, you know, is something that, you know, Startups have to recognize. So, for instance, you know, you know, the hotbed of startups is still, you know, cardiovascular, you know, or vascular technologies, one of the two. And but you, what you're seeing is, from a large company perspective, the number of players is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's nowhere like you may have had eight suitors or what have you. Um, Look at the orthopedic space, same thing. I mean, now 
look at the number of orthopedic players that were out there and and even five years ago and look at what's there today. <clears throat> Lots of consolidation went on. Um, so, you know, I think when that happens, startups have to recognize that, you know, number one, they aren't as in a strong negotiating position as they once were. And not only that, you know, you really need to make sure you do have a unique, innovative, standout technology or product, as well as making sure, you know, you're really buttoned up from a business perspective on all aspects, including your design history files, you know, business plans, market data, et cetera, so that you can really ensure that, you know, you're in the strongest negotiating position possible. Yeah, so so basically the, the, the tip there is to, to be a total package. Don't don't be a, a one-trick pony. Make sure you've got not only the technology but the team and then also uh, the, the back end, the, the, the regular, addressing the regulatory matters but also having a solid business model to move forward and actually generate revenue. I think that's probably a pretty important key advice yeah. for any startup, regardless of industry. Yeah, and, they, you know, revenue, you, you bring up a good point. You also find that, uh, particularly in the med device space, medical device companies buy revenue more than they buy technology. Uh, yeah. You look around, they buy they buy revenue. Um, you know, medical device companies don't have the luxury of pharma to, you know, have, you know, these gigantic R&D budgets, and as such, they can't, it's very hard for them to just take on technology and, you know, begin to develop technology. They, right. they will take on some, but, you know, 80-plus percent of the deals that are done are for revenue. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, there, there's, um, I'm, I'm sure there are some um, pockets in the industry where there is a, quote, pure research uh, focus as far as technology is concerned, but, uh, you know, I, I guess throughout most of my career, the things that we called research were 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 really weren't research. They were really just uh, trying to figure out how to commercialize a, a particular product or device or, or or an idea. But it was really yeah. about revenue, being revenue minded. Absolutely, pharma is exactly the opposite. In the pharma world, they want to buy the new blockbuster drug compound API very early on, early as even as early as you know possibly just a phase one study and they pay big money for that. And then they develop it all the way through. Med device, you're really having to carry it through to the proof of, you know, possibly even clinical data and commercialization. Um, otherwise, chances are, you know, you're an afterthought. So right. that's the other thing that I say is, you know, the small startups, you know, most of them are going to have to get through the FDA. They're going to have possibly even have to get CE marked. And as such, you better have a good system in place because, yeah. you know, you're at risk of being audited. And for CE Mark, you will be audited. Right. By your right. notified I, body. I, I, and I think that's probably, of all the things that we've talked about today, I think that's, you know, the important point. So I wanted to, to drill down a bit on that. I mean, it used to be a time where, where a med device startup could, could do a few benchtop tests and maybe an animal study and then say, hey, um, we're ready for acquisition. And, and what um, your observation is that that those days uh, are probably numbered, or if they're not already gone. Instead, what what I heard you say is a med device company, a startup needs to be ready to take it all the way through the regulatory process, get clearance, go to market, and then do some actual clinical work uh, on the product uh, once it's been cleared. So they basically have to be in a revenue model before they really become a 
a good acquisition target. That's correct. And, you know, any startup that I'm involved with, you know, my plans all include take it through approval and then determine, you know, whether depending on the complexity of the device, it may be an IDE approval and a clinical or a 510K in some post-market studies. But I think you just can't assume that I've got 510K clearance or I've got a clearance, therefore a company is going to be interested in me. I would say no. They want to see some kind of evidence that your product is truly unique. Yeah, that there is a business that is that's worth that's a revenue right. that there's a revenue stream. Well, Ronnie, um, any parting words that you have for our audience today before we uh, we wrap up our conversation? Sure, I think if I had to say, I'll say this all the time. First of all, if you're going to lose, lose early. It's that whole fall in love with your technology and become blinded. If you really are going to lose, and you need to understand that early, which leads me to the second point. Understand what the customer wants because chances are you'll understand whether you got the right product or not or the right technology or not. And determining who that customer is is just about as important as understanding the customer. A lot of people say, well, the end customer is the patient. Well, yes and no. The patient is the beneficiary of the technology or the product. The customer is the person that's making the purchasing decision. And that could be different in many, many cases. So, you know, I generally say you need to understand all of those things early and you need to, you know, cut bait early if you don't think that you've got something there. Otherwise, all you're going to do is burn up all your money and you're not going to be successful and everybody's going to get frustrated. The closer you get to running out of money, the more frustrated everybody gets, the more panicked everybody gets. So, you know, figuring these things out early is important and making sure that, you know, you manage your cash along the way. Well, folks, you, you heard it from Ronnie. Cut bait early. <laughs> if it's gonna, if it's gonna be a dog and it's gonna be a loser, then, then, uh, then decide that and figure that out as fast as you can, for as as cheap as you can. Uh, I've I've seen plenty of ventures go way longer than they should. It's been a lot more money than they should, and I'm sure Ronnie has as well. Well, Ronnie, I appreciate your your time today. Um, and appreciate you you having a conversation with me about uh, some of the things that are impacting the med device industry. Uh, let me just let our our audience know that uh, you can always check out more uh, podcasts from the past on uh, Greenlight.guru's uh, website. You can also learn a little bit more about our software solutions that are helping medical device companies address things like ISO 14971 risk management and design controls and quality systems. My name is John Spear, and you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.